Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. For over a year now, COVID-19 has taken over the entire globe, and despite the incredible work of scientists to create several vaccines to protect us from this virus, we've been hearing over the past few months about variants and different strains, which can sound scary. So this week, we're sitting down with John Farragon to talk about these variants, you know, what they are, where they came from, and most importantly, how we can stay safe from them. Welcome, John. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks, Mariana. Yeah, this would be a good a good topic, I think, and it's timely. I think there's a lot going on with variants, and uh, I know there's a lot of confusion around it. So. so, John, let's start from the beginning. What are the current variants of the COVID-19 virus that we know of? Yeah, so it's a good thing. So it's a good thing to start off with. Um, so just a couple of things I want to be clear of. First of all, I, I think anybody who's looking at variant data um, should be aware of what, what's happening locally for them and also be important. It's important for people to know that the CDC has a whole section in, in their website on, on variants, which is very good. And it talks about um, basically variants of uh, concern and, and variants of, of interest. All right. So there's, there's two different types and um, you know, it's a, it's a constantly changing science though. So, so today, you know, we're going to f- cover variants that are, that are probably, the five that I think are the, are the most significant ones, but you know, in two weeks you could find out that there's that there's five or two more variants that are that are that are important as well. So the so the CDC has a lot of good information on, on the ones that are of, of most concerning. But um, basically, the first four are, are what we call variants of concern in the U.S. and those are the B one one seven. That's that's the U.K. variant. So I think many of us has probably have probably heard about that. There's also the P three fifty one, which is the South African variant. And then there's also um, uh, a P1 variant, which is called, um, uh, which originated from from Brazil. And then finally, there's this B1-427-429, which which is the one that's originated in in California. So those four variants are now kind of called variants of concern in the U.S. And then um, there's one that's actually a variant of interest. And I cover it because, you know, where we are, we're presenting from, from, um, from New York State, uh, but the New York City variant, um, it's called the B1.526, 526 uh, is another variant of of, um, of interest. But again, for us in New York State, you know, this is uh, this is obviously um, something that's been trending up recently. So what I'll try to do my best uh, to do in, in this in this short podcast is really to cover some of the key knowledge points and highlights as far as the variants. Um, when it was found in the U.S. and some of the rates of, of what's actually happening uh, in the U.S. based on some of the CDC data. All right, so let's start from the first one that you mentioned, B117, also known as 117, or the U.K. variant. What can you tell us, John? Yeah, so this is actually, um, this is probably the one I think that most people are most familiar with or have heard the most about. It's the one that's probably the most common one in, in the United States right now, but this variant was detected in the U.S. in December of, uh, of 2020, so just uh, late last year. And based on what we know so far from the U.K., it is likely that that, that this probably has about a 50% increased rate of, of transmission. Now, I want to make sure everybody's clear about that. So that means that 50% higher rate of transmission, even if it's not more lethal, the percentage of people who get infected with it is going to be higher, so you potentially could see the N or the number of people who who um, who die from COVID related to some of these variants could could potentially increase, right? So, in addition, um, the CDC has some great information on their website, and it really 
um, also talks about this may lead to increased severity and potentially to increase hospitalizations and case fatality rates for people who contract COVID-19 um, uh, uh, disease uh, from this uh, SARS-CoV-2 variant. Um, so, so, so far, if you, if you look at the, the number of cases that are in the United States, if you look through early April, there were roughly just under 21,000 cases in 52 states or territories of the United States. Now, I want to just let you know that I've been following this over time. And when you follow the CDC uh, slides and the CDC um, charts that they have on the variants, you can see that these numbers have changed dramatically uh, over, over the last couple of months. For example, this 117 variant, there was only about 1,100 cases that, I, that I had, had been identified in mid-February. So just in a few months, these rates have definitely increased significantly. And, and this is um, one thing that you have to really be aware of is that these are just the variants, uh, these isolates or, or these, um, these samples that we're actually measuring, right? So these are actually ca actual cases that have been sent off for, um, for amplification to see what actually variants are there, right? So there's, there's, there's also other people who've gotten um, infected with SARS-CoV-2 whose samples may not have been sent off. So it's not, you're not capturing every single sample across the United States. So this is a, you know, these numbers, while they're, you know, they're increasing, they're probably they're much worse than what, than what we probably realize because they, uh, you know, they have been, we don't sequence every single, every single person's person sample. All right, so we're really just looking at the actual, uh, some of the actual cases. And the CDC also provides, so based on that, right, based on the numbers that they have so far, they provide what I would call like estimates of the percentage of cases caused by the variants. And, and, and in the US, probably about 45% of the SARS-CoV-2 uh, infections are, are caused by this B117 overall. Now, this is data that's through the end of March. Um, um, so the, that's the most recent data set that we had up till today, which is um, kind of the end of um, the, the 20, 22nd, 23rd of, of April. So the proportion of variants uh, with this B17 is really highest for, for Michigan, which roughly about probably about 58% of the variant data that they have of the of the infections that are caused by variants is, is 58% is caused by 117, Florida 52%, Minnesota 56%, and Tennessee is actually up to 61%. So of the proportion, of of um uh, of the cases that are caused by variants, the most common one is is this is this B one one seven in Michigan, Florida, Minnesota, and Tennessee. And in the CDC guidance, you can actually see and go into individual states that are actually it actually shows you the number of uh, of of um, of cases that are, are estimated to be from some some of these variants variants, which I think is really really helpful if you're looking for for local data for your individual state. What about the P351, the South African variant? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, so 351 is, is, is one that originally originated from South Africa, and it has roughly a 50% increase in transmission compared to the wild type or original virus. Um, uh, it will also likely have some effect um, uh, on the monoclonal antibody treatments, and I'll, and I'll mention that um, as I get towards the end here. Uh, it has shown a moderate reduction in, um, in neutralization by post-vaccination sera. So what that means is, is that if you look at the sera of people who've been vaccinated, there's a reduction in the, uh, in, in the efficacy of the vaccines with people who have, who have this 351 variant. However, in the United States, this is really not, not nowhere near as common as what we're seeing as the B117. And it only rep represents probably less than 1% of the U.S. cases through, through mid-April. Um, mid and in the U.S., if you look at the number of cases that have been identified, it's, it's just over 
just over 450 cases have been identified in only 36 states. Um, the biggest concern about this 351 variant is that the variant that, that you may see a reduction in the efficacy for some of the monoclonal antibodies. In particular, the banlanivimab um, at a sevimab combination, which is being, in the, being used in the US uh, that's authorized by emergency use authorization, um, does have a reduction in efficacy in, in the presence of this, of this 351 variant. All right, so it doesn't now remember that that data though, that information that we have is in is in vitro, right? It's not in vivo. So one of the problems is trying to correlate these in vitro uh, analysis showing that something has a reduction in, you know, against this variant and, and trying to say, is that going to translate in, into real clinical information or real, you know, into real patient data versus something that's being done uh, done in vitro. So um, similar, similar to that 351 is the P1 variant. This is originally found in Brazil. Again, this is likely to have a moderate impact on some of the monoclonal antibody treatments. And it's approximately just, just uh, under 1.5% in the US. Again, much lower than the B117 variant. Um, similar to the 351, the, 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 the P1 variant may not be neutralized by the BAM, uh, BAM uh, at a seven, at least at least 100% uh, monoclonal antibody combination. And um, if we look at the cases, it, it's been in 30, it's been found in 31 states and, and just under 500 cases um, as of as of mid-April uh, 2021. So again, you know these variants I think are really important. The CDC I think information is really helpful, um, and and we just have to be I think aware of them and, and just understand that some of these monoclonal antibodies and potentially even the vaccines may not be as effective um, against some of some of these variants. Got it. So, so far we have the UK variant, the South African variant, and the Brazilian variant. Walk us through the California variant. Yeah, so this one is a, is a combination of, of, uh, of uh, B1427 and B1429. Now, I want people just to be careful. Everybody talks about the... the People will say, well, it's a double mutant or it's a, it's a double one or you know, people call it double mutants. Just know that there's, there's basically it's based on amino acid changes that, that have occurred. So um, basically the amino acid changes that have occurred in these variances are in the spike protein. And those are different than what's in the wild type original virus that was originally sequenced um, uh, for, from the original strain, strains of virus. So just because there's two, uh, just because it's a double variant, it doesn't mean that it's going to be worse or lethal. We don't really know that for sure. For a lot of us, but I think people hear these double mutants and people get worried and think, oh my God, there's something really bad. Now the variants are not definitely not good, not good situations, but we definitely need to be aware of them. But don't be, don't be afraid when you or don't be more scared about variants when you hear somebody saying it's a double mutant. You know, it, it all depends on what, you know, whether or not the the medications or the things that we're doing this, in particular the monoclonal antibodies, whether or not they're they're effective. Um, but it really has been shown to have uh, some degree of increased transmissibility, this this California variant approximately 20% higher than wild type. And again, similar to the other variants besides the 117, that these the monoclonal antibodies used to treat this variant may not be as effective, especially when we're talking about that bamlanivimab plus adesivimab. Um, so there is a potential reduction in neutralization with vaccines as well. And again, these are things that we have to kind of work out over time to see if this really translates into real uh, page difference in patient outcomes as far as people getting, um, getting wind up in the ICU or dying from, from COVID whether or not these these variants are really um, um, are really are really uh, being affected by by the vaccines, so the variant really accounts for just about three percent of cases. Uh, there was four hundred and twenty seven uh, cases, and um, uh, the data through March twenty seventh, uh, two thousand twenty one. Uh, these represent fifty three percent of the variants that have been identified in California, which would make sense, right? 
and then 36% those in those in Arizona, 28% of the variants in Colorado. So that 53% in California, that's of the of the people who have variants, right? But not again, excluding the people who have wild type. Anybody who has a variant, basically, um, show you we've been able to show that, or the CDC has data that shows that 53% of those variants is this uh, people who have variants has the had this California um, uh, 427, 429. Uh, variant in in their in their sera. Okay, and finally, let's talk about this New York City variant. What is it, and why is it a variant of interest? Yeah, so this is a, a, a good one to be you know uh, for for people who are living in New York City. Um, I believe this started so, somewhere. Uh, it, they believe that it came from Washington Heights. I believe in Manhattan. That's a, that's the thoughts, and a lot of uh, there were patients who were immunocompromised uh, and mostly hospitalized patients. I think that's where initially this was identified. But the variant has been identified and some of the variants um, identified in New York, and it really accounts for about 7% of all the cases in the US through March 27. So this is a, a higher, higher proportion. I think this will eventually become a variant of concern. Right now, it's just a variant of interest, but I think it will be a, a v, a, what we call a VOC uh, in, in, in the near future as, as the CDC rolls out, gets more information on this variant likely responsible for a growing number of cases in New York City. Um, again, that origin was likely likely Manhattan. While this variant is not a variant of concern yet, again, I think it is gonna be, it is gonna be at some point, but they're watching this 526 and 525, 526 very closely. Um, as an example, this was, um, uh, if you look at some of the data back in early February, this is data from Columbia, from David Ho's lab, and this is unpublished data, but the variant was probably less than 2% in early February. And some of the unpublished data suggests that the mutations containing this, this, um, this variant were present in up to 12% of, of cases in New York City that, that had actually been sequenced. Um, and this was probably through, um, through, through, uh, through early March. So these numbers are increasing and I think are, are, of, are of concern for, for people uh, you know, who, who may be either getting monoclonal antibodies or, um, or getting vaccination in, in New York City. So what does this all mean? We've got five variants to this already scary and deadly virus. Do we all start panicking now? Yeah, I, I just don't think we should be. I, I think everybody should just kind of just realize that variants are gonna be, this is natural part of the viral evolution. I think if we get a variant that's, that's really, you know, that really kind of is completely ineffective or the vaccines are completely ineffective or, or there's no monoclonal antibodies that work against it, and, and then the ICU and deaths related to those variants increase and increase to a point where, where, it's, where it's more dramatic. I think that's when we have to be concerned. But right now, today, I think everybody should just kind of like just realize that there are variants out there uh, and, and realize that, that the CDC is, is basically, I don't want to say it like this, but they're all over it. I, they, they really are evaluating this. They're, they're getting samples from, from, from different places in, in the country to know what's actually happened. Uh, on the, in the CDC guidance on, on COVID variants, uh, that discussed uh, really, it's discussing different spike mutations that occur uh, in the SARS-CoV-2 for each of these identified variants. So, for example, I'll just give an example. This N501 is present in both the the 117 and the P1 and B351 variants, right? While while the common mutation this N484K is common to both P1 and P351, and the, these have been shown to be present in the New York City variant as well. And then in, in the 1429, 1427, the mutation, this L452R, is common to both of them, as well as the D614G. Now, that 614G mutation, that had appeared very early on in infections in March of last year. So even in 2020, we knew about that 614G 
which really uh, I think um, represented a large proportion of the of the of the infections that we saw in uh, in the U.S. Um, uh, in in last March and in April. So basically, all these are these are just mutations, very similar to what we see in HIV. They're they're basically spike protein mutations where um, you know the 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 letters represent different amino acids. The the uh, the numbers are usually going to be the the location on the genome of the spike protein of where those mutations are occurring. And basically these mutations that occur, for example, N484K, K is replaced N at 484 at that position, and it makes the, the, um, the virus bind more effectively to, to, uh, to ACE2. That's basically kind of what, what happens, right? So the bottom line here is all, all these mutations are a result of the virus continuing to replicate and essentially these developing um, uh, potential advantage over the wild type virus. So the bottom line is if we don't get significant numbers of people vaccinated, the real concern is that we could have a, a, a potential mutant that occurs that could be either completely inactivate or neutralize the serum from vaccinated patients. So it really goes at this issue of it's really important um, for us to get as many people vaccinated as we can, which is everybody's working hard to do. Um, and and um, it's really a race between vaccination and development of concerning variants. But I don't want people to walk away thinking that if you have a variant, if you get infected with a variant, that the that the vaccine that you received two months ago isn't gonna be effective, because it's not true. Because we don't really know this for sure. I mean, there might be a reduction in the efficacy or we might have a reduced immune response uh, to the to that individual variant. But most of the time, the, these, these variants, um, there's still enough immune response that to still be effective for um, for for the vast majority of people and prevent people from getting admitted to the ICU and also dying from 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 COVID. So there is some evidence that that these variants that are that that are discussed. Um, the there's two sets of monoclonal antibodies, and this is where it gets interesting as well. Um, the B117 variant really has no change whether you use in that BAM lenevimab plus adesivimab, and then there's also another another uh, uh, monoclonal antibody combination called casarivimab plus indevimab. And so the first one that I meant, the bam Eti, that's the Lily product. And then the Casarivimab plus the Endeavimab, this is the, the Regeneron product. It really doesn't matter, except the fact that the, the 117, which was the most common variant that's that's being identified now in the US, both of those products would, would work. However, um, some of the um, um, some of the other variants, the other variants that were listed, the other four, um, the, you know, the um, the Brazil, South African, California, New York City one, there is a reduction in the efficacy of bamlanivimab plus adesivimab for those patients. However, thankfully at this time, the the at least the in vitro assays suggest that casarivimab plus endevimab, the Regeneron product, will still be effective against those variants. So that's really really the, really the key. The key piece of all this is that despite the fact we have these variants, we still have options to, 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 treat, to treat these patients. And the other thing I would also say, uh, I think there, there, we may potentially see differences in, uh, in, in potential using, potentially using booster doses for some of the vaccines to manage some of these, some of these variants as well. Yeah, you mentioned vaccines, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, the ones that are out now, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, will they protect folks against these variants? Yeah, so this is actually a really good, a really good story. Uh, you know, and again, it's hard, it's hard to know. There's a lot of complexities between evaluating some of the in vitro versus the real world in vivo data, right? So, um, so one of the things I just want to make sure everybody, everybody knows is that regardless of whether or not what's going on with variants, you still need to get vaccinated, right? Because um, a vaccinated person 
um, like I said before, even if you have a reduction in the efficacy of the vaccine for certain variants, it's not going to be zero, right? So you're probably going to have some protection. And that's the most important piece. So if we can still keep people out of the, out of the ICUs and prevent people from dying with vaccination, regardless of what variant it is, hopefully that's going to be the case. So I want to make sure that people know that right now, get the vaccine now and as soon as possible before these additional variants actually, actually have a significant effect on, uh, on some of the vaccine, uh, on the vaccine uh, vaccines that, that we have available to us. But again, they may be less effective in for against certain variants. However, for the most part, that antibody response is still going to be adequate enough to protect people against severe COVID and prevent death and ICU admissions. That's the most important piece. But again, this is a changing science, right? So there's going to be more to come on that. And I think I would just say that I think we will see potentially, you know, there are companies that are looking at some of these, um, uh, some of these variants and developing what I would call booster doses for the vaccines that would cover cover these in individual variants. Most likely, uh, using an mRNA platform would probably would be, uh, at least in my mind, would probably be the most most make the most sense. But again, these are these are all things that I think are are in flux. But I don't want people coming away worried about the variants. You know, it is it is concerning uh, on some level, but I don't want people to think that the vaccines aren't going to be effective. We don't know that really uh, clearly yet, and and I think even uh, even some of the some of the monoclonal antibodies, while there might be some reduction, you know, these this is in vitro data, and we have to really kind of see what the clinical impacts of, of those are in real patients who who have COVID with those variants. Yeah, this has been really informative. Do you have anything else to add before we start wrapping up? Yeah, there's just two things I want to add. First of all, know that um, the updates that we gave gave you today are only through April 21st, so please be sure to check other resources for updated information. Variance information is constantly changing. The CDC has a great program which has been established, um, which collects data on the variants and sequences, and they really keep it up to date as best they can in, in, the, in the databases. There's a SPHERES program, and then there's the, the, the NS3, which is a surveillance program, uh, and there's uh, a lot of labs across the country that are involved with, with submitting uh, submitting sequences to the CDC so we can actually get more data. So really stay tuned, stay tuned for more. Um, while the variants may be problematic, we, you know, we can't let it lead to vaccine hesitancy. You know, there's some, some protection, like I said, is better than no protection, even in a worst case scenario, people vaccinated are going to be likely to fare much better than those that are unvaccinated. So even if you're exposed to one of these variants we, we discussed, you need to make sure that you're, that you're getting vaccinated. One more thing I will share, this is just, um, just from the end of April, it was just an update from the NIH uh, COVID uh, treatment guidelines, which, which, which is out. And there is a section on, on variants now, which discusses the role of some of those monoclonal antibodies that we discussed. And again, if, you're, if your variant rates are higher uh, in your particular area and you know that, that you know that they are, you may potentially be, be inclined to use Casarivimab plus Endevimab, right? The Regeneron product versus using BAM, Lenalivimab plus Edisevimab because the, it seems like the BAM plus the Edisevimab is probably going to have uh, less of a uh, of, a, of, of an effect on, on patients who are infected with, with those variants. So again, that's besides the 117, all, it's all the other variants, the other four that we talked about that are, are most, um, that are going to have a reduction, likely going to have a reduced response uh, to the, to the BAM ETI versus the Casarivimab plus Endevimab. So that's in the guidance now uh, for, from the NIH. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Um, and you can just search that on, on Google, Google NIH guidelines and COVID-19, and you'll see, uh, you'll, you'll see that those were updated just in, just in the last couple of days. I think it was on April 20th. Those were, those were updated. 
John, thank you so much for joining us today and breaking down all the current variants of COVID-19. I know it can sound scary to hear about the virus mutating and having, you know, various different strains, but the important thing that, you know, I certainly have taken away from this is that folks know that the vaccines do offer protection and they keep us all much safer than we would be without them. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.